Welcome Pathfinders, back to our after party, after party number 7 now, covering episodes 19, 20, and 21. Yeah, 19, 20, and 21, as we continue to make our way through the Mummy's Mess Adventure Path. I am your host and Game Master, Rick Sandage. I'm joined by Jessica, Jordan, Rachel, and Heather. I can give last names if you guys care, but you probably listen back to one of the previous episodes and get that. We're not important enough for last names, we're just his minions and his yeah, right. name. I have the same last name, it's you, well, made this, you. you made this a similar <laughs> joke you. during the last after party. Well, it's been a while. I don't remember. <laughs> Heather just makes the same jokes over and over again. Really? Yeah. Or maybe we forgotten. should get our names also. Well, let, let's be honest. By the time we hit like 50 or, or 60 episodes, I'm going to run out of material and be recycling yeah, jokes anyway. So that's just fair warning. That, and I've, we'll I've challenge ourselves to become funnier. Ever today. I, I, my, my wit is limited. Never. I have a plethora of 90s knowledge to bring I was going to say, worry. it'll just become puns and references to old stuff that, you know, <laughs> I already do that. data as severely. <laughs> but the after party is, of course, where we talk about the last three episodes that we have gone through, a little bit of what's going on with nerd culture and the channel and a whole, as well as us as players and game master. Yeah, we have finished. We're actually, for the first part of this, we're going to talk a little bit about two episodes, because there's a little bit of bleed over where episode 18, episode 19, they're a little bit of a, an A-side, B-side, part one, part two kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I figure we'll start with just talking a little bit about that. Um, we talked a little oh, bit about episode... A little bit about episode at the end of the last adventure party. Yeah. So yeah, let's first talk about episode number 18, which is Boys Night Out. We talked a little bit about it at the end of the last episode, where uh, Sudi goes off and does... Well, more or less plays hero and on your save the whole city. And on Eurus goes around now. How did you save the whole city? Because I didn't hear the episode. Okay. Well, I had the plague of madness, which, you know, almost destroyed the city the first time around. And so, so I if- go to get a cure <laughs> so that on Eurus doesn't infect the entire city and kill everybody. And on Eurus, meanwhile, is hallucinating and going around literally like wandering the streets, meaning he could be infecting anybody. So I saved the city by saving by saving on yours. You can sneeze on anybody, would you? I don't know. I was having visions at the time. <laughs> I'm not the uh, the hero that they need, and, but I am the one they deserve. And you can read about on <laughs> take on those visions and hallucinations on the blog now. Yeah. That so. is true, yes. Heather wrote the first in our new ongoing series where we've started up a blog on our website, which if you uh, just subscribe to us through any of the podcast subscription services you may not be aware but we do have a website it is find-path.com and you can go there you can see a little about profiles pertaining towards all of us you can link off to our twitter handles uh, and we are now adding more blog content including uh, our character sheets up on there and heather's short story which kind of gives a little bit more of a an in-depth perspective into her character's thoughts during the events of episode 18 so I suppose for the two of you, do you guys have any questions that kind of arose from going through episode 18? Your only own thoughts? Only about on your backstory, because that was like, what? And, and Heather's doing the, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, and like, Oh, uh, the, uh, the bird noise there did remind me to say that we're listening to Sirenscape, as we always listen to Sirenscape while we're doing the Find the Path podcast. This is the Elvenville Night Cleansing Rain. I like Sounds it. Set. It's it's pretty peaceful. It's kind of uh, peaceful. More, more yeah, about but... on Yuris's backstory will come out as we play. Of course, I'm not going to give away spoilers. Yeah, you have to wait like everyone else. I know. Citra is going to like force you to tell her. <laughs> that is the thing I think will happen. That's true. Well, so in that case, I can ask my own questions pertaining towards it. So, Jordan, that was an opportunity for you to play Sudi outside of Sudi's usual element. 
Yeah. Uh, we've received a lot of feedback on those episodes 18 and 19, all of which was positive. Yeah, so thank you, to, guys. Seem to like yeah, that. Seem to like our roleplay episodes. I'll have to keep that in mind. Yeah. So it was. It's always interesting to put players into a situation where their characters are not really built for it, and oftentimes this will come in like a dangerous situation where. You'll be like, oh, okay, it's a fighter in full plate mail. Let's put him on a bridge over a rushing river. Let's not you know? please, please So it's like, that. oh, he's out of his element. Uh, in this case, it was Sudi is a monk. I don't think Sudi has any ranks in any of the three big role-playing stats, which would be bluff, diplomacy, or intimidate. Absolutely don't. Yeah, Absolutely I have, don't. I have none of that. So uh, No knowledge nobility, I imagine. Yeah, definitely don't have that knowledge either. Knowledge local. Are you just trying to shame Sudi? No, I don't have like, that either. It feels like that. Uh, the thing to remember about Sudi, and I'm going to rehash this because uh, I said it, I think, in the first episode, and I was reminded whenever I looked at your backstory. Yeah, Sudi barely even knows how to read. So, yeah, he's, he's, he's not really good on that book learning. So the things he does know is the things that are interesting to him. So, so I guess my question there is, how do you feel about being a player put in a situation that is out of your element? You know, see, the thing about it is I really like it because it's really good to develop that character and to know, like, I, I base characters a lot on myself. And so, like, I, I have no idea how I would act in that situation. Like, it's like meeting the queen, you know, or, or the mayor or something. I'm like, I have no idea how to act around you, dude. So and she's also um, not nice. Well, and yeah, and <laughs> she's not a nice lady. But you know, it's really interesting just because I can just like imagine like this little like fur ball of a cat that just like looks like a Are we scruffy about the comes up. Queen or no. <laughs> well, she's like the on she's the like city really council. she's on the city council, so yeah. she's like important. More, like, more like a member of parliament or something. Yeah, yeah. but like uh, being like super awkward and like you know very uncomfortable. Like I've been that way in my in my past, so like I can be like I can channel that into a character, and you don't really get a lot of opportunities to do that. So I actually really liked it. Routinely, there's even as a player, sometimes I'm guilty of this as well. A lot of times, players will get that mindset where. Once you hit about fifth level, usually I say fifth to sixth, seventh level or something, when you're just in a small town and you kind of look around, it's like, I could, I kill, could kill everyone. everyone. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. It's that like, I don't have to listen to you. I could kill you. I don't have that thought. <laughs> it depends on what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> so, there have definitely been times I've wanted to just nuke it from orbit. You know, so. so fun fun thing, though, with Sudi in that situation, that I've been planning on doing something with Onuris's backstory and something related to that for a while. And the moment that it ended up being on Eurus and Citra that went over there and found the ring and had their whole little like role play romantic exchange while being possessed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. Like that I knew I was going to do something like that. And I just didn't know who was going to be on the the side of going and speaking. And I found it interesting with Sudi because I was, you know, it's probably going to be Sudi but if if it's involving the temple, it might be Sagira. And I thought, like, either of those would be pretty interesting. Uh, I was happy with the way that the role-playing turned out, where it's just kind of Sudi in an awkward position. I think it would have been much more confrontational with Sagira. Yeah. She would have been less awkward. She's dealt with at least, like, upper-middle class yeah. before. And if somehow it ended up being Citra, Citra was middle-class before. She grew up very poor, but she was middle-class. Well, she was uh, middle-class, and then they went poor. So she doesn't remember the first time they had money. Then true. they had money again. So, Heather, what about your your thoughts? Did you enjoy the whole like dream visiony? Yes, I like it a lot. Of it? I'm a very big fan of the Egyptian mythology. Yeah, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to accidentally do spoilers. But yeah, that's it was. Fun. I like that audio effect. <laughs> yeah. Oh that was yeah, a cool and I got to use the reverb. I had a lot of good. fun with the reverb. Maybe that's how you solve my issue. <laughs> <laughs> We're <laughs> not reverbing. We've you, you reverb. <laughs> 
So yeah, I did, I did get to use the reverb. So everyone got this kind of like dreamlike. I actually use the reverb and a uh, fun little audio thing out there for your audio files, which surprisingly we get a lot of questions about the audio side of things. I use the reverb for that. And I actually also slowed down the audio slightly for that. So it gave that kind of cool. hazy dreamlike when you're listening to it, that everything is kind of echoey and distance. Yeah, and I liked writing down the little like journal entry from on yours's perspective on that because i was able to kind of elaborate on the stuff that happened without also being super spoilery yeah. so i thought that was a good exercise and uh i enjoyed getting to include things like the uh like a person's ball like the birds with the faces mm -hmm. of people and everything that you're having on your weird vision quest mm -hmm. just because i've always found the the whole egyptian concept and the the ib and the ball and the ka to be interesting so everyone seemed to have enjoyed episode 18. We then went on into episode 19, which was the first sight of that. I rolled like five nat ones that episode. Yeah. <laughs> Jessica and uh, and Rachel got to do that one with Sagira and Citra going off on their own. I don't feel like the two of them have had as much characterization. There seems to be a lot of back and forth between Sudi and Sagira and a lot of back and forth between Citra and Onuris. That's because we're the people who know each other. And keep in right. mind, even though this is like in episode 22 and we've been playing this for a while now, it's been like three days in game. Yeah, like I barely like, know these people. Like I, I've known Sagira, or Onuris has known Sagira for three days. And while she, and all he knows about her is that she robs things and yeah, she's not Yeah, I mean, good. it's not like <laughs> she's given the best first impression to Onuris. So, Although, I mean, having, having gone to the temple now, I don't know if that's going to influence Onuris' yeah, opinion. I mean, and, you know, and of course he's going to be nice to her because her mom just died. I'm religious. <laughs> but And he and Sudi know each other again in the same way he and Citra know each other. It's that co-workers that you've kind of chit-chatted with the past yeah. year. Onyris doesn't tell people anything. Well, it's, mostly because he, he, he well, the well, one person he did used to tell everything to says he's crazy now. Episode so. episode 19, though, wasn't about Onyris. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't even it, there. I am not even going to listen to that episode because I wasn't We didn't even think there. about Onyris. It, it is true. My, my players, dedicated as they are to the method. Uh, <laughs> not me. I listened to the other episode. Yeah, oh, no. Okay. Uh, Heather and I both agree we're not listening to episode 19. I'm just afraid that if I listen to it, I'll subconsciously, like, metagame. It's, it's the same thing with Rachel not winning to listen to what happened with the boys. Now, the boys one has a lot more spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Ours was shenanigans and then immediate darkness. Yes. I know apparently yeah. uh, Citra has a boyfriend now or something. I, I have so, a boyfriend. He might die, so we'll see. So that, that episode did, <laughs> yeah, it did feature him. a lot of NPCs. Falto made his appearance once again, as Falto has been kind of a reoccurring character in the background. I feel like he's just a poor, naive cinnamon roll yeah. that got roped into like this <laughs> yeah. awful attachment yeah. party. It, it is always one of those really interesting things when you find an NPC that you really attach to, either as a party or an individual, because like I feel like Falto is one of those people that they may have just like been like, and here's a couple of people that they may meet, and like he's become like kind of recurring character. We've you know had what drinks with them and stuff. So. What is it with me as a player always falling in love or having things? With the NPCs. You, well, you're, 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 your husband. you're clearly a hopeless romantic of a. Well, and it's not always the NPCs. I mean, there was the one campaign where our characters got together. Oh, that's true. It's that true. Is true. It you did just always get together like with people best. in yours. Yeah. <laughs> But anyway, in episode 19, though, you guys did get to go out. Uh, funny enough, Mummy's Mask <laughs> came out in uh, 2014. Uh, so at the time of recording this, some four years ago. And in Mummy's Mask, in the, uh, the back section where they talk about the city, they go into, they mention like the Tooth and Hookah and... Yeah, I was um, going to say, they usually give you all the, the locations you'll need. 
And yeah, they give you the base, the basic information, and they give me two paragraphs on the Whispering Stone, uh, which was kind of fun. And originally, I didn't really plan on doing much pertaining towards it until uh, not too long ago, a book came out called Taverns of the Inner Sea, oh, yeah, which gave yeah. me like 10 pages on the Whispering Stone with maps and the drinks and all of the rest of that stuff. So this is just kind of a great opportunity to, to mention that as Paizo puts out more books, they oftentimes go back and expand on even small throwaway things. Like they just mention that in two paragraphs in this book. And then one of the Paizo staff, and sadly they don't actually put who wrote what sections at the yeah. front of that section. So whoever wrote that did a phenomenal job with it. And I very much enjoyed incorporating more of the Whispering Stone because the moment oh, yeah. I read that, I'm like, oh, I'm going to add some more of that because it, it was fun. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the thing I, I really like is sometimes they're a little light on like the actual details and stuff. But between all of the campaign settings and all of that, you can find ridiculous amounts of information that you can really make your setting very vibrant. And like, I, I you know, I've, I have a lot of the campaign settings and I've, I've had one that's just ships. Yeah. Just it's nothing but ships. Super cool for a pirate campaign to have just yeah. a lot of ships that you could that are historical or that are famous or something like that. So, well, yeah, I mean, if you think back to it, there are uh, three adventure paths that take you at some point to Sandpoint, mm -hmm. and so Sandpoint getting its own book. It's long overdue, actually. Like, yeah. If you think about it, based on that, those you know? poor people. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Poor people in Sandpoint. Oh, Sandpoint is uh, one of those so towns much. that I'm like, bad things always happen here. Why do people live here? It's like Thrushmore. So yeah, it's like Thrushmore. <laughs> yeah. It's another one of those. There's lists of towns in, you know, Pathfinder. But it's like, why does anybody live here? So I suppose on the subject of episode 19, uh, hey, Rachel, what about your thoughts? I had a lot of fun with it, to be honest. Because yeah. um, I think I actually got to really kind of develop Citra's character a little bit more. Because mm. when you're exploring tombs and whatnot, she's got to be this serious rogue and make sure that, you know, people aren't, like, dying around her and whatnot because the trap goes off. Sorry, guys. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> it's okay. And so I think it was kind of a, a chance for her character to kind of loosen up and, and realize that, hey, these people aren't so bad. I can have fun with them and joke around and... Yeah. One person. Yeah, I know. But you're like <laughs> the hardest one to crack because she already knows that on yours is a challenge. I'm really not that hard to crack. I just don't tell people my whole backstory, my whole life. You're, but you're, you're, you do have a serious persona a little bit more. Mm. Like you joke around with Sudi, but not as much with And then I got real drunk. Yeah, yeah. did. With a lot of nat yeah, ones did. on port saves. <laughs> so, uh, I so actually uh, held my drink pretty well. That is true. I'm yeah. very proud about that. Um, I think you drink less than me, too. <laughs> like one so, what about you, Jessica? <laughs> Overall, pretty happy with that. Was there a... It was crazy. I did not expect to have to deal with my dad coming out of the shadows at yeah, the end. That, that, that is shocking. true. Af after the party. Yeah. yeah, that is not... I was not expecting that to happen. Um, or to, like, have this arc with my, like... I knew my family would probably come up because they're also in Wati, but I didn't think that they would be, like, a thing. I didn't think they would be, like, a murder thing. Yeah. I like incorporating that in... And at this point, it's vague enough that I can only imagine you're just like, is it the Fated or mm -hmm. uh, starting in the following episode, suddenly the Silver Chain is involved in this whole like gang warfare thing? Is it something to do? Is is it possible that they were right? It's just some guy drug addled on Mamiya yeah. breaking in there. Seems a little too convenient. It, uh, and it also, Mamiya be. is from mummies, not from like fresh dead people. Yeah. I imagine. Unless your mom was up to some shady stuff. In the she wasn't that shady stuff. like that. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, I haven't seen her in, I don't know, six years? Well, and I saw it as a good opportunity to, to lay a future campaign seed. 
because mm -hmm. it, it's something that can be brought up here. It's something that you can now talk through with the rest of your group. And you know, you've got other things to deal with immediately. And mm -hmm. in addition to that, there was kind of a part where you guys were talking, I think it was in uh, episode 21, where you guys were just kind of saying, why is she, uh, I think it was on yours, was saying, like, why is she here? Why isn't she dealing with this right now? And there's just that part of me that's like, it, it's, it's a police matter. Like, well, the city guard are investigating this. This has nothing like, they're not going to let some random person suddenly step in. She can do her own investigation, but it's not going to be like, oh, I mean, okay, that's what on yours met. It's like, why aren't we going and going and asking her dad what happened? Why aren't we kind of poking around and seeing well, what's and going of course, on? like, her, her dad doesn't know anything more than the guard do, and... But Sagira also is just like, I don't even know what to do with this information because, like, you guys were all dead to me. Yeah. But now, like, she's literally dead, and I didn't hate her as much as I hate you. So this is weird. I don't know what to do with this. And the whole idea that she might have some information pertaining towards your... Uh, yeah, that's interesting. What he said is your, you know, your actual My father. My actual papa. So getting into the fact that you were Suli. So, yeah, I thought it was a pretty fun game. I enjoyed, again, using one of my campaign setting books and putting that to use. I enjoyed the the actual drink recipes that they provided yeah, in there yeah, so I could fun. like rattle off I was all say, the we ingredients. We haven't tried any of those to see if they actually work. Sounds yeah, good, I'm, I'm interested in trying that, especially that uh is Tet's Kiss, yeah, the love potion or it's like, oh man. That's what it's we like drink, some right? pomegranate juice. Yeah, we drink that and, in beer. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. They're real big on beer. It's safer to drink than the water. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then we like immediately split the party again. Uh, yeah, whose fault is that? Well, she, her mom had just died, and then she was like helpless in entire fight. Sagira could do zero things while all of her friends were being murdered. So you, you guys did go into down. episode 20, re-entered into the, the necropolis, mm -hmm. and you reversed an ambush uh, since yeah. you guys made a, a heck of a... I'm, I'm actually going to throw this out here because some people have commented on the way that I, I run stealth checks and how... It seems a little odd. One of one of the most commonly forgotten rules, especially when it pertains towards stealth, is the the perception check to notice someone stealthing goes up by one for every ten feet between yeah. you and your target. It is commonly forgotten, and because of that, even on Eurus when he was back, okay, there's a sleeping centipede. It's like, well, that centipede's still forty feet away. Mm -hmm. So whatever you're rolling, you're getting a higher roll than that, and including that, and you take a penalty when you're sleeping. But in the case of you guys detecting that ambush, a lot of times what's almost more important than someone making a or the stealth roll is how high a perception roll. Because you guys rolled high enough to notice that guy, I think I said from a distance of 70 feet. Yeah, it was redonkulous. Which, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. that's well. really hard to do. It was like the yeah. opposite of the episode before where I was nothing <laughs> but that one. I either roll really high or really low. Yeah, just because the, the wild card there. And so you guys did a little reverse ambush. You had the fight break out. Uh, it was an interesting fight because it utilized the almost the entirety, and we have a full-size Crystal cast, mat, Castle yeah. battle mat. And it utilized pretty much the entirety of the battle mat. And you guys used up a lot of the field. There was a lot of yeah. movement. There was a lot of going from place to place. I was going to say, I feel like I was running like every other move um, or every Sudi, other round. Yeah, Sudi was taking a, a mm -hmm. pounding because this actually this is probably the first time you guys have run into ranged attacks as a serious threat to the group. Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, it was one of those things that, like, we haven't fought a single person yeah. or intelligent creature, really, beyond, yeah, so like, that wasn't cool. some kind of and outsider or undead anybody. or something. You didn't yeah. kill anyone. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, not for lack of trying. For yeah. I mean, theoretically we did, because we turned them over. Well, I mean, I mean that's the you're not doing the There were a lot of tanglefoot bags and nets thrown around, neither of which are anything that I, I use often. 
Yeah. So that was interesting. That's a, that's a low level that, thing because I feel like at higher levels, there's always ways of getting out of that stuff much easier. Tangle foot bags, there's not really much you can do unless you have universal solvent. The the DC to resist the tangle foot bag isn't that. Because it's static. So. Yeah, is it isn't like that a, high, but. 15 or I think 12? it's a 15. Yeah. I have a seven escape artist. Yeah. And I just could not roll. Yeah, you're you're doing great for those perception rolls yeah. and those stealth checks were pretty yeah. good. But. And so then it ended up being like all of the anger that Sagira had about her mom being dead when if she had been there it wouldn't have happened got filtered into Sagira has been literally held unable to move or help anyone the entire fight. And then the person who held her is going to just escape? Yeah. It was not happening. So it was mostly a combat episode, and so there's not really a, a whole lot to say pertaining towards it. I will say that the the few things that I took away interesting from it was, one, just Jessica having to deal with escape artists and all the rest of that is not something that runs into a lot of combats unless someone's grappling you. And then a lot of times you can just grappling. forego and just say, you know what, I'm just going to start stabbing this guy. But he was far away. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there was nothing you could really do about that. And the, I purposefully have, like, I wear light armor, and I have a rank in escape artist and I have like I've like built a character that's going to be good at slipping through things because like tomb robbing uh, and it just didn't the rolls the dice they were against me here the other thing that I'll say was really interesting with that episode probably not in a positive way for Heather <laughs> is it it's one of those occasions that really illustrates when you're wearing medium armor yeah I'm not really planning on sticking with that for very long it's just <laughs> We found this nice set of armor, and it was way better than what I had, so I might as well wear it. But that 20-foot movement speed is... Oh, yeah, that's just... If anything, I'm eventually going to spring for a mithril breastplate, and that's probably the heaviest I'm going to have on yours wear. You know what I like? Celestial. Celestial armor is real cool. Yeah. That's really expensive. I know. But you can fly. Yeah. (laughs) If Sudi weren't taking such a pounding, that was a great fight for Sudi. The problem was that Sudi was... In a couple of, of levels, if Sudi picks up deflect arrow or catch arrow catch or something arrow. like that. Oh yeah. Love. It's going to be phenomenal for him, but that would have been a great fight. Yeah. That would have been a great fight to highlight the monk. As I'm going to take improved grapple because all I do is grapple things and you should take <laughs> catch arrows. <laughs> yeah. No, no, it's in the, it's, it, I believe it's in the pipeline. I, I almost feel like uh Sagira, and this would slow down your progression be the only problem. Dip, in brawler. dip into brawler and just I be did like, think about mm-hmm. it. I thought about it, but I want my cat. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it is one of those occasions that really illustrates speed when you're having to deal with a field that large. Well, not only that, it also is a really good one for me because of the elevation that some mm-hmm. of them were going up and being able to, you know, having taken the uh, the climber alternate racial trait, alternate racial trait to just zip right up those. Like, don't even worry about it. I'm just going to climb right up that and just start punching this guy like that. Uh, that was one of those moments where I was like, I'm glad I took that. But Sudi always forgets he's lucky. I do always forget I'm lucky, and I really shouldn't do that because yeah. once per day I can, you know, re-roll, to get a reroll. So, and Citra in that fight managed, despite the fact that you weren't getting a whole lot of sneak attack, and you managed to deliver a lot of damage in that fight. So we shot that a lot was of a, arrows. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of ranged combat. In we that learned fight. that Onyris doesn't have a ranged weapon. I may or may not have eviscerated somebody. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, and Sagira was happy about that. He lived. So, well, Sierra was like, yes, you murdered this guy I can't get to. That episode ended with the party splitting again. <laughs> uh, half of the party running one direction, the other half of the party staying behind. I promise the, uh, we don't do this. Yeah, not recommended. Uh, this is a weird campaign. And Yuris was not thrilled with that. That's, that's why, like, the entirety of the beginning of episode 21, uh, which starts with a splitted, I'm just sitting there going, all right, all right, 
when are we going to be in trouble for this? Yeah, it, <laughs> at some point we will be in trouble. There's always that that little bit of terror that kind of raises yeah. up whenever you. Uh, we don't ever do it ever. Just we, in this we campaign, really just don't. waiting. Well, for something up during to go the downtime. Wrong. You know, we do that a lot. It's I just sure. we usually don't role play as heavily as yeah. we did those last two episodes. So yeah, this episode, the splitting was not a, a normal event. Yeah, and in Citrus' case, and if I were Citrus player, if I were Rachel, I wouldn't have been as as concerned about the pairing because it's always nice. when the party splits it's always nice to be the one still standing next to the cleric yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's so true. it's like oh I'm in a city fresh. I'm in a city full yeah. of undead next to the cleric but well, if I think your, I'm okay. and yours is in a mood apparently <laughs> <laughs> he was so salty he was so the kettle in the pot and kettle debate like how dare she not tell us anything uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> so there there were there were some interesting reveals in that episode uh, that will have a longer stretch on yeah. the on the side of Onurus and Citra as they got to go give a little bit of back and forth. Three-fourths of us were gang members. On Onurus got to, <laughs> to find out a little bit more pertaining towards Citra. Uh, Citra's involvement in the Silver Chain. By um, proxy. By proxy. It was more her brother's involvement in the Silver Chain. I was never in. True. You you're... never had the Silver Chain on your wrist, so yeah, you're okay. And of course, many listeners will know that while it hasn't really been revealed in depth to the party... Citra discussed a little bit about her uh, brother's death with Falto, and you all got a little bit of information pertaining towards it in the episode where there was a cat mummy and she freaked mm-hmm. the frack out and then took off running. Yeah, because I think we all know that your brother was killed, and we all kind of know it was something in a tomb. Probably a little bit of an association thing. I don't know if she's expressly ever stated that, too. I think she talked a little bit about it with Onuris, that her I brother was I thought it was, was when she ran. I thought that was part of... Well, uh, no, Rick described her having that vision. Oh, but that's I right. don't think, yeah. you know, but the party Citra didn't. actually yeah, said we, anything we, about it. Yeah, she didn't say anything about it, yeah, so she, we don't actually know beyond she was really scared of that, you know. Mm-hmm. And we just assumed it was the magic of the item. Right, right, yeah. And all of you do know, and I don't know if this really occurred on yours so much, but all of you do know that she stated that her, a lot of her studies and everything in Tefu were pertaining towards curses mm-hmm. and the way that curses worked. And she's always been the most hesitant to crack open a sarcophagus or do anything along those lines disturbing the dead for good reason but we got a little bit more of a look into that and uh and now rachel at the very least and now citra once uh sagira and sudi got back know that the the gang that her brother was a member of are apparently operating now in they haven't Wati got a chance to again. tell us that or sagira knows so yet. many things to tell you yeah, she's got to ask you about a lady with a mask well, we, we have, so, you know, a current problem that we're addressing. Yes, because that became priority you know, one as soon as I heard that. And then at that. the end of this episode, the Scorch Hand went from being kind of annoying to Onuris wants to really punch him in the face now. Yeah. Sigura's kind of sad. But but are you really surprised? Because I kind of expected them to do that trick, you know, to do that. But I thought they would do it already. Like, it would already all be ransacked, so... So, well, no, not that part. The the zombie, the skeletons. Oh, that was, that was just That's that so was messed just up. Annoying. Yeah. Sigura yeah, was so excited to talk to some jackals. There was also the other reveal from uh, Sagira's phenomenal survival check. And apparently there's another dude in here, too. Yeah. There's some barefooted person. Some barefooted guy, yeah, who was in here and then he left. I know, yeah, he might be the one taking care of the temple. Uh, yeah, but the fact that there's My anybody guess. in the necropolis who takes care of anything is pretty is pretty impressive. Magic. Or I don't believe it because, like, that's just, like... He could be a super high-level something caster. Question. I mean, maybe. Does... Tetmanib. Tetmanib. Was he barefoot? No. Oh, okay. He yeah, follows for asthma. He was just weird. Also, yeah, he follows for asthma. He was weird, but he like, follows for asthma. Okay. Yeah. You know he's probably out here somewhere, but... Yeah. yeah. I have a feeling he'll be back. 
That was a weird episode, too, because it's hard to play chaotic neutral when you're not a neutral person in real life. Like, I'm a neutral, but not chaotic neutral person in real life. And I'm like, Shigeru probably would have wanted that kid dead. But then he was a kid, and Sagira was a kid when she was in a gang, and that was really crappy, and she remembers not liking that. I was going to say, also, that. he's like Sudi's age. So. Let's, let's touch on that just a little bit, because... Uh, that was pretty brilliant, because if he had been an adult man, he would have been dead. <laughs> I wasn't intentionally attempting to manipulate. I did want to make a little bit of parallel there, though, between... Just, I guess, a little behind the screens there. A little parallel there, there between Citra's brother and his situation, ah. and that same idea that this is almost a gang that just takes advantage of, like, real-life gangs do. They take the advantage of disenfranchised or vulnerable youth or youth that have economic issues to bring them in. And then once they're in, there's almost no way for them to get back out. And in his case, you got some, some interesting information, particularly pertaining towards the fact that not only are the Silver Chain here, but the leader of the Silver Chain's mm-hmm. here. And he's apparently running around with, some, with some, some crazy, crazy lady. lady. Yeah. Yeah. And they've gotten religious suddenly. Yeah. yeah, suddenly in some sort of strange religion oh. where they're wearing golden funerary masks yeah. and running around searching uh, searching through the necropolis, also seemingly looking for something. But they were just looking. They actually weren't behind the uh, you know netting. Yeah, because the Scorched Hand is the one who basically got this group of of the, uh, and Citra was totally right. Well, the, the implication, though, was also... That the, that guy decided he wanted out of yeah, the Yeah, he wanted out. Because they so he was looking for money. Thing, yeah. And he was doing it on his own, not for the silver chain, which made Citra 100% right. And well, she he's it. out of the gang now, and Phrasma will uh, deal with the aftermath of uh, that. I was going to say, regardless, Phrasma doesn't forget. So. Now, there, there is an interesting thing that also kind of ties back into this, because uh, as you guys may have caught during that episode... A majority of them were all using either Kopishes or Shimitars. Mm-hmm. And the bodies that you found with the Scorch Hand were all killed with Kerb Blades. Well, Wait, Kerb what Blade. bodies? Oh, the body, not the not the Jackal bodies. No, no the, the bodies they, in the alleyway when you fought yeah, side by side with the Scorch Hand. Yeah, maybe they'd been jumping people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's quite possible that this wasn't them attacking you. And those bodies had been stripped, so. Of all their gear and yeah. By and the such. Scorched Hand, maybe. Possibly. Well, or these guys now. Well, I know, but like if they, is that how they met? Oh, could have been like they came oh, upon them. Oh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's they possible. beat them up just like we did and then offered them the steel out. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, Adori didn't mention anything when she was awkwardly flirting with Sigura. I mean, I didn't ask but, her, so. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that that's not something that just comes up in conversation. No. So are you hiring thieves to... She doesn't seem super loyal, so maybe we don't have to kill her. We'll see. I I mean, regardless, I think that Sudi at least is... is Oh, I haven't really gone into his like oaths and stuff, but he's probably not going to try to kill them. Onuris is real upset with this uh, actually, whole actually that jackal. You know that whole jackal thing. thing. He might kill. I I mean, if they I mean, necromancers are. Phrasma's <laughs> not a big fan. Yeah, of I was going to say uh, yeah. she really, really. Which of like you raised these things? Which of you? What does Nethys think of? The, she's the only one. Nethys is cool. Nethys is a true neutral deity. He doesn't care. I do love Nethys. Nethys does. Yeah, the god Nethys does not attach any sort of morality to the use of magic. He's like the Gozra of magic. It's it's that magic is a tool and it does not matter what you use magic for. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much it. So, But yeah, that basically kind of covers that. I don't know if you guys have any questions pertaining towards things behind the screen or uh, the enemies that you fought this. I mean, in those kind of four episodes that we're punch, covering, there's I, only I, one I, encounter. I, I want to I punch Hat Lady. I yeah. mean, there's that. You could just straight up punch her. I could. 
gonna say what she's what's she gonna do like wizard you she's she might have a dagger in her hand or something we'll see we'll see how it falls out yeah i i know specifically <laughs> she's gonna be in trouble if she actually raised undead it's in either the her, city of the undead you know? it's either her or the cleric well, the cleric, Zaz, the I guess, cleric channeled a heal, no. which means he's either good or is neutral and chose to do the good channel thing. But you could still create undead. Sure. They're yeah, not humans. but that's, it's still, eh. Zaz was using a, a grease wand. I, I was going to say, I think it was like first it. level, like if anything. You know? Yeah, it, I mean, in all likelihood it was Hat Lady because she's pretty, she's Valeriana. the one that's the worst. So yeah, I mean that basically covers those uh, those four episodes at that point, since we're covering a little bit on episode eighteen as well. So on to a little bit of channel news. We actually have a lot of channel news for this after party. So where to begin? First off, as we mentioned before, we've expanded, and uh, you might notice a little facelift for our website. Uh, we've added a blog post section, which we're going to be adding to fairly regularly. We're hoping to at least add one post to it a week, just to kind of. Keep in contact with you guys, give you a little bit more, give you something to kind of mule over between, between episodes, uh, episodes yeah. while you're waiting for things. The second thing I was or that we were going to mention, too, is we actually have a subreddit now. Uh, and weirdly enough, we didn't create the subreddit. Yes. One of our fans we, did. We did have a, which is pretty yes, awesome. Which is we crazy. did have a listener that uh, set up the subreddit for us. Uh, Jay, who I believe goes by the uh, Twitter handle of Vol- Volingit. I think it's technically at Volingit. Yeah, it's it's dyslexic loving it. Like you Yeah, know. dyslexic and like, loving it, but spelled really yeah, difficult. Yeah, we, we can't pronounce it. And We're sorry. You're dyslexic. Sorry, but but you are amazing, Jay, and we really appreciate uh, all the hard work. If you have not gone over there and checked it out, you can find it by just searching for Find the Path on or Find the Path Podcast on On Reddit. Find yeah. the Path yeah, Find it's, the Path Podcast. Yeah, it's R slash Find the Path Podcast, all one word. So Yeah. So yeah, Jay, thanks for setting that up. If you guys go over there, I mean basically there's a thread to post on every episode episode that comes out so if there's a little back and forth i am planning on getting on there i know jordan and heather and jessica are all active on the boards and will routinely answer questions yeah if you see official find the path then that is basically me because i'm uh, not going to really yeah. set up a separate second one because i do most of the answering for questions yeah, on there we've all got flair on that says like real heather real jordan real jess like so you know you'll know it's us and not somebody pretending to be us so and we of course appreciate everything that you guys reach out to us about there if you have questions for me, just direct them at Rachel. Do not talk to her. <laughs> Rachel, as a... Uh... A hermit. She lives on a mountain. Yes. And to get here, she walks over like seven small wooden bridges. And it's snow pretty. both ways. It's, snow, it's uphill yeah. both ways somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. Sometimes she sees like Avatar, the last airbender kind of people. It's very weird. Aang's out there. I don't know. I don't know. So we, we, we hey, of course, have gotten a, a number of emails as well, which has been great. And we always enjoy hearing from you. And you can, of course, reach out to us with any of your questions or concerns. A lot of them have been very positive, And we, of course, always appreciate that. But as always, I feel a little awkward just reading through all the... <laughs> you want to paraphrase, though. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, we don't get to portion. read those because they all get to you. It's so. true. Yeah, we, we don't, don't get to read yeah. yeah. But for, okay, so for, <laughs> for this week, uh, we're going to be answering an email that we got from Ian. Ian is from Utah. So, hey, Ian. I'm, uh, hey, thanks for also telling us where you're from so we don't just give you a location. <laughs> it is true. I mean, Although, sometimes what, our locations are awesome. <laughs> what, what do we know about Utah? There's, there's a, a mountain. Mormon. There's a Salt Lake there. There's a yeah, Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, in Horizon Zero Dawn. <laughs> yeah. uh, so from the beautiful state of Utah, 
Ian writes in and states, uh, hey everyone, huge fan of what I'm hearing so far. As someone who doesn't have a group to play with anymore, sitting at your table while you play has been great. Uh, I'd absolutely love to help spread the word about the channel and have been to all my friends to try to get them interested in Pathfinder. Mm. Ian then follows with a couple of questions for us. I'm basically going to get to the big one. Uh, as he actually gives us three questions, but the big one being the second one is, um, as someone getting into Pathfinder, after being a bit bored with 5e's simplicity, no, not us trying to bash on 5e, that's someone else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we do love Pathfinder, though. What is the best recommendation that you can make to me to have my Pathfinder games feel as real as you make them? Ooh. Um, so uh, I already answered Ian back, but I'll go ahead and just kind of paraphrase my answer back to that. Rules question? Um, no, I, no, I, I took it. It's... I actually took it as both. Okay. So for my rules, I basically stated that uh, the one thing that I will commonly hear on podcasts, and this is something I really suggest for GMs to keep in mind, is a lot of times GMs in podcasts is understandable because you don't play as often as you possibly do for your regular games or for as long as time. They'll forget conditions, and there's something conditions while they hamper the party and that it is rough and everything, it adds that verisimilitude to your game that it makes it seem far more lifelike when it's okay. I'm poisoned. Okay. I'm dealing with the poison. Okay. This horrible undead stenching thing comes at me and I'm sickened. It's also a condition is the fastest way to make a party change their tactics from what they would normally do. Mm -hmm. It's usually, okay, I'll just step forward and do something. But if you remember light radius and whether or not the character can actually see them or whether or not it's in dim illumination, or you remember something has the ability to cast something like fog cloud, even though that's more of a concealment and less of a condition, it is still in, or impeding the progress of the players. Remembering conditions is pretty much the best rule mechanic I can suggest for making your games feel more real. Talking about storytelling, however, uh, from a game master standpoint, for me, it's description. And there's something that I always try to keep in mind when I'm describing things, uh, and sometimes I'm better at it than others, is to try to engage all five senses. Of course, we are visual creatures, humans, as by nature, but describing the smell, oftentimes saying, you know, I, I think in this last episode I mentioned something about you walking in and there's that like carnal stench of a butchery. Mm -hmm. And like that kind of puts you more there, even if I even if I just say, okay, you see blood. But really getting into, I don't, I don't describe taste that often, unless every once in a while I'm like, yeah, like blood splatter. Sometimes I'll just say like the bitter taste of your potions. Yeah. But so those would be my two big suggestions. What about you, Jess? I think from the player standpoint, there's kind of a couple of things. Okay, so the first thing is writing a backstory. Like we always write a backstory. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, it's like a minimum 500 words, but I don't think I've written less than a thousand words ever. <laughs> Care about your character. That's how the backstory helps make them real in the setting, maybe research where they're going to be from. I do like an insane amount of research into where my character's mm -hmm. from. Yeah. That part's kind of fun. Yeah. And by kind of like a lot. It's super yeah, fun. And you can, <laughs> and as a DM, if you want your players to be really immersed, you have to, you have to work with them on their backstories. Mm -hmm. Like if they give you a backstory and they're, you know, big, like the cliffhanger they give you that they want you to work with is something you're not going to be able to work into the campaign. Let them know. Don't mm -hmm. just, you know, have them have this story hook in their background that you know you're never going to be able to use. Yeah. Work with them to make them, you know, feel like they're engaged in the setting. Like when we always kind of work with Rick or Jordan or our friend Ross, whoever is our DM, about how, hey, you know, this is what my character, we give them backstory, this is kind of what I'm going for. That's the campaign traits for the Adventure Pass help with that a lot mm -hmm. because you know there's going to be a hook. 
but don't leave them hanging. Like if they have something you're like, oh, well there's this big plot hook in this town we start in, but then you know that the adventure path or the story you're gonna run takes them away from there. Be like, hey, you're not gonna be here the whole time. Maybe have a reason why you'd wanna leave the town. And make all of the choices that you mechanically took for your character make sense. Like if you can't explain why your character has X trait or X feet or X whatever, then maybe figure it out or change it so that it's like realistic. Like if I'm in Osirian, I'm probably not going to play like a winter r- witch archetype. A winter witch. Yeah, you that's know? weird. Um, I have two small ones um, just because you've done this in our game several times. It, it's kind of the little things that you pull in from our backstory. Like, I mean, not to like bring up our old characters all the time, but one of my characters, my little halfling uh, investigator you brought in her family. It had absolutely nothing to do with the plot, but the fact that my half-work friend got to have dinner with my halfling family it was, so was yeah. freaking hilarious. And it it didn't necessarily propel the plot forward, but it was just a really nice touch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is, as far as like players trying to get more into the story, is don't be afraid to actually ask, hey, can my character do this? Or I want my character to do this. How do I make this happen? Mm-hmm. You know, because sometimes... We're like, oh, well, I, you know, I don't know if I can do this and everything. It's like, try. All he can say is no, Just or he'll make it work, it. or say, hey, it's this difficult, whatever. Yeah. You know, and I, and I think it's good to like take that initiative sometimes and, and be like, yeah, I would. Well, and uh, another fun just kind of GM suggestion here also is it is very easy, especially if you have an NPC that does not get a lot of characterization or have a lot of page space in a book. To just take out a character and then insert our person from the character from another player's backstory mm-hmm. and then expand that part. So, for instance, if you have a player who has a, it's like, oh, I've got a brother and he's in the town guard. Then when there's a murder, just instead of it being, oh, well, the sheriff shows up to tell you about this murder, it's your brother. He comes and says, hey, you know, there's this murder. It was really weird. Would you mind looking into it? And so adding in things like that and really working with your players, especially if you're going to do an urban campaign with character backstories to tie those characters to the setting. Jordan, Jordan. your thoughts. Uh, so the big thing for me that I mean, obviously I'm going to echo everything that they said. The one thing that I do that really helps me get into the game and into my character is developing both a character voice, but also mannerisms. So, for instance, I uh, flaws is just as important as having attributes. So, like, making a character in Curse of the Crimson Throne, I put a stutter. Because I played a character who wasn't an adventurer, who had never left the city, who was born there. And what happened is, after a while, I started making that stutter less and less and less. Because he was getting more confident and he was changing over time. And so the biggest thing is, if you want to bring realism, your characters aren't static. They change over time, and mm-hmm. what happens to them actually can affect them, both positively and negatively. So, Sudi getting almost eaten by that uh, sarcophagus, he's probably not going to get anywhere near a sarcophagus anytime soon. And that's, you know, that's real. That's that's genuine, you know, making him a real person at that point. Yeah, the previous game you mentioned, I think all of our characters had a pretty epic change. So, I'm kind of curious to see how that happens in Mummy's Mask, like how... We evolved. We, we haven't even begun to get PTSD. I know. Yet. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about you, Heather? Well, like I said, just making, if you want the game to feel more realistic, you have to have your players involved. In the making characters that feel real. Over at making characters that feel, feel real. And, like Jess said, if you have a feat or a background trait or something, work it into your background. Explain why your character has that trait. 
It's like, why does your character have max ranks in knowledge religion when they're not a, you know, not like one of the classes I would normally have it, you know? Oh, consequences. You know, Mm -hmm. and yeah, and as a DM, you need, if you want the game to feel real, have consequences for your players. Mm. You know, if they do something stupid, I don't want to say don't be afraid to punish them because that sounds wrong. But if you let them get away with everything, they're going to... They're just going to escalate. Well, if you walked up to the king and punched him in the face... Your character is arrested. There's a Roll a new character, yeah. basically. You know, I Try mean, not to be a murder hobo. Yeah. There needs to be consequences for their actions, because, you and know... And similarly, if they take a risk and pull something off, like, re- it, you know, reward them with an epic description mm-hmm. of what they just accomplished, or let them do it, you know, something like that. Yeah, I did want to say one other thing on adding realism, or making your game feel more real. Pathfinder is... A 10 out of 10 on the basically complexity scale, first edition, as far as most tabletop role-playing games go. It is one of the most complex systems. Don't let that stand as a barrier in your way to playing the game. As a game master, oftentimes you will know what's coming up. You'll know, okay, the guys are going to cross this bridge and there's a possibility they're going to fall in. Just don't worry about reading the swimming mechanics until you know there's a chance your party's going to swim. Don't bog yourself down with the rules, but just familiarize yourself with them as you go. You don't have to memorize every rule in the book to yeah, enjoy sure. playing the and game. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with saying, okay, I'm not 100% sure how this works. We're going to do it this way. And then after the game, you read over it. But just let your players know, okay, the way we did it the first time, we just kind of, I, yeah, I didn't want to slow down the game by looking up this really complex rule. Yeah. This is what we did. But this is the actual rule. So this is how we're going to use it from from now on. And uh, I don't use this a lot at my table, but one of the easiest things that you can do, and it's just a suggestion to all the GMs out there listening, never feel afraid to deputize a player. Mm-hmm. If you're in the middle of running the game and then something comes up and it's like, okay, there's a rules question, just go, this is what I think it is. So we're going to go with that. And you just finished your turn, so it's going to be another minute or two before it gets back around to you. Take a second, Jessica, look up this rule, and we're going to keep going. Mm -hmm. But to segue from what Heather was actually just saying about consequences for actions, uh, we do actually have a second question that was written into us, and so I want to get to this one. And it falls very heavily into that, and I'll actually answer this one and a question I've been asked twice already. This one is from Jay, who is from uh, British Columbia up in Canada. So, uh... Hey, he sent an email. He said, hi, great podcast. I share your love for Pathfinder, especially Adventure Paths, and I am in awe of how many Adventure Paths you've completed. We're ridiculous. Um, We we are abnormal. So are we. Yeah. (laughs) His question is, how much character death have you experienced in previous Adventure Paths? Just wondering what we can expect in this particular AP. So that is an interesting question, Jay. And the other question that I'm going to answer that I've been asked a couple of times, I am not I'm not personally a big fan of GM Fiat. The idea that because my dice are being bounced behind a screen, that I can lie about whatever I'm rolling. Because the moment that I start that, I put myself in a position where I can do favoritism. And it's a slippery slope. And I I don't like to show favoritism, and I, I kind of like the dice to tell the story. And I know that's just kind of a cliche thing that you'll hear a lot. But it shouldn't be me behind the screen arbitrarily deciding whether or not you succeed or fail. That's what I love about Pathfinder is that I can look at this and I can you can go, okay, I want to climb this cliff, and I can look at it, add all the conditions to it, tell you what the DC is, and at that point, it's your dice rolls that decide whether or not it, that succeeds or fail. And as such, I don't shy away from character death, but I am a firm believer that 
at the very least at my table, I do not like it to be the game master versus the players. Mm -hmm. I like us to all be on the same team. We're all telling a story together. Sometimes character death is part of that. And sometimes it can be a great part of it, especially if it comes at a good time. If you have an epic Boromir scene where it's just kind of a, a redemption and a, an awesome battle and everything else. I, say, I, I have died an absolute hero. And I'm the, to me, that's, that's the, that's the best death you can get is yeah. saving the party or saving a member that's of the party. That's my only or, character death, I think. Yeah, like if you, if you well, go no, out, you the, told me a bunch yeah, of if you go out the hero <laughs> to me, that's that's the best you can get. It is a cooperative game, and, and we really we do work together. To we work together. together. Yeah, we work hard not to yeah. let each other die. Yeah, As, and mind you, I haven't ever gotten through an adventure path without someone dying. Well, and we do the med kit, which is a thing I don't know if a lot of other groups do. We keep all of our uh, where we keep all stuff. the healing stuff that we find in like a party pool. And then around the time that we have enough money, we almost always chip in for a scroll of raised dead, which just mm -hmm. hangs around in the med kit. So once we have enough money to buy one of those if somebody dies. It's... Yeah, short of you getting like disintegrated. Yeah. Yeah. When we don't yeah. buy one of those and somebody dies, we're very confused. <laughs> yeah. Wait, there's not one? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't restock this. Um, but yeah, so as as far as character deaths are concerned, uh, I do actually give the, the party, instead of the 20 point buy, I give them a 25 point buy. Epic. It doesn't do a lot. It helps a little um, bit. It, it helps just a teeny tiny bit. We also don't really, like, nobody dumps and, constitution. And I was going to say, we another don't Another thing that. That, that we do that, which is another cooperative <laughs> thing, is while we might not always have rogue, wizard, fighter, cleric, we usually have at least some working combination yeah. of those yeah. things. Yeah. Front line. So we have, we usually have pretty balanced parties, so it's not like three fighters and a wizard. We're a yeah. weird party, because I think... We just don't tend to have a lot of arcane casters in parties. Like yeah. a couple of times we've had an arcane caster, but it's not. If anything's gone, it's usually that. Yeah, arcane is is the first that this group tends to uh, leave behind. Oh, and, only because otherwise I would just be playing that the entire time. I mean, I like divine <laughs> casters a lot, and I mean I like oracles a lot. So it's like I end up playing divine a lot, yeah. and I, I love Rachel does too. Yeah. I will also say that none of my players are min maxers. I would say that none of them are even optimizers. I'm, I'm well, that that being said, all of them do a good job of making characters that fulfill not only their role as role-playing in characters, but also fulfill their role in the party. Yeah, I mean, as far as your concern with Mummy's Mask, I will... Someone will die. I Inevitably... It's just <laughs> It is a possibility. I have also read that Mummy's Mask is really high up there. On the challenge level, okay. particular right. in the mid books. Thanks. Hey, for but that, mid books, Maureen. we might have the raised dead ability. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's usually right. like level eight is where it starts to be like. Okay, yeah. The, so yeah, as long as it's not the cleric. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. The, you get a scroll. <laughs> you have read magic. Now you just need to like. I have used magic device. Yeah. Yeah. The the thing about it is like if um, it, you know when character death happens, we're never mad at Rick. Or yeah. whoever's jamming, right? It's you know, it's it's usually a situation. Yeah, the when situation I died. can get really frustrating. When Fauna yeah, died, like, I was gonna say and usually I've gotten frustrated at a situation, but never do I get frustrated at. And, and tying Ian and Jay's questions kind of together, there one of the the suggestions that I can reach out there to all GMs is it is it is good to just let the dice fall where they will because I am not the the enemy. To the players. Mm -hmm. I've never if, decided to take that. I mean, mind you, every monster I run. They're very out to kill us. I Yes, I run <laughs> if, them if dedicated you're... to kill the party. Uh, <laughs> on the subject of realism, though, that is, I will leave it off with that, that 
one of the things to always keep in mind with realism is you as the game master know everything that is going on. You have a bird's eye view of the screen. You know the story and what's going to progress next. You've been fighting these players over and over again. The random pack of gnolls that the party stumbles into, they don't know what spells the wizard prepares. Uh, when a party member goes, I'm going to ready an action to fireball when three you know enemies get within a 20-foot radius of each other. The enemies don't know that that's what the party is doing. Yeah, yeah. Don't always game as yeah. the GM. It's like always play to what the monsters would do. Um, and that includes looking at their intelligence score and knowing, oh, these guys are too smart to fall for this, or no, these are just you know mindless brutes. And and, so, and I will you know. say that oftentimes that also works against the players because having listened, uh, that also play the monsters the way the monsters should be played. If a monster has five attacks and it drops a party member on the second attack, and there is nothing else in reach, mm -hmm. there is no reason that that monster does not continue as three attacks against the down enemy. Now, if there are two other people within reach, yeah. of course it's not yeah. going to keep or if pounding. It has something in or if it has something. That's, well, that, that's yeah. what I was saying. If it started a full attack action, it will just continue. And a lot of times I find the easiest way to get around that is if I have a dragon that's going to attack someone with seven attacks, and I know that there is nothing else it can do, I'll just roll all seven at once know how many hits and then give you the damage. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying go after your players, but don't just go, oh, okay, well, well, you fell to the ground and has three attack actions left, but I guess it's just going to end. This dragon turn. with this 20 intelligence who knows that you're not dead. You're just on the ground. is and not going to just can get you back. Up it's and... not going to just be like, oh, I guess I'm done attacking and, and this it, person. And it sucks, but it's play played the enemies the way that they should be played. Um, and that's how we get our don't character game. Back, yeah. guys. <laughs> don't. No, we die from falling off things and being in the water. That's yeah. how we die. That's, that's how characters will die from Getting one of three ways stuff. almost every single time. It is they will drown, drown. they will fall off something, yep. or a critical hit. Yeah, I was going to say the critical hit. I've killed people with critical Which, like a critical hit. That's what when killed comes, my character at the end of uh, Skull and Shackle. Yeah. I got critical good night. This one over here, though, Jessica took a freaking disintegrate to the face. Twice. And twice! <laughs> and survived! That was my battle oracle. Battle oracles, guys. You gotta do them. They're amazing. So, yeah. That, that answers that. There I was... See, I passed the saves. There was actually another question from Ian, and I'm not going to get into that here, but he did ask us for our thoughts pertaining towards the Pathfinder playtest. We have had a chance to play it a little bit, but we're going to kind of hold off we don't really want to influence all of you out there who are playing through the playtest with we, our opinions and our views. I think we might have mentioned this in one some of the good, other uh, ones, but yeah. like they made a big deal about at PaizoCon about if you're going to do the playtest, go into it fresh. Try not to like read other people's reviews. Try not yeah, to yeah. Don't watch the, the Twitch streams that they're doing. So we're going to try. We're yeah. trying to kind of keep our opinions on the on the quiet. For the now. one thing I will throw out there is. Uh, if you are not following the Paizo Twitch stream, not for their gameplay, but actually for their interviews with the developers mm -hmm. and things like that, definitely do. Because they'll get on there periodically and just update with what they've heard, what they're thinking about changing, and they are definitely listening. So if mm -hmm. you are interested in doing the Pathfinder playtest, just do it. Yeah, nobody get out puts there, this do much it. work into um, a playtest. Yeah, no one puts this Jason, much work Jason into Holmes a playtest without... Jason some posts on like, Twitter and Facebook feeding. about how he can't wait for more surveys to get turned in. Yeah, I know. Like I mean, that, and so. that's the thing also. If you do have the opportunity to do the playtest, please do the playtest and give them the feedback because they really are looking for that and they're actually listening, which is huge. I mean, that's so cool. Yeah. 
So yeah, I think that's really it for us. Uh, thank you for the emails. Keep sending them in because we love hearing from you guys and we love having the opportunity to, I think in the first episode, I said that we have collectively about 55 years of experience at this table. So it's not as much as some groups, but it's more than others. And we're happy to share as much as we can. And tweet at us. Yeah, um, use yeah. the hashtag. You know, tweet if you at just us. have a quick question, you know, we don't mind. We'll answer. Uh, post on re- on the Reddit. Yeah. Use know. our Twitter hashtag, hashtag FindThePathPod. <laughs> and you might so, show up on our website. Yeah, and also, so, you know, we'll see it. Yeah, so tweet at us. We've got our blog out, so follow us on the blog. You can leave comments on our blog, uh, as well as in the episodes on the website, if you would like to do that. You can also Reddit. routinely contact us uh, on the Reddit. And uh, again, if you want anything mentioned on here, if you want uh, your name and state thrown out there. <laughs> or place of existence. Or place yeah. of existence. If, and yeah. it, like, and it could like be we've fake. done before, if you don't tell us where you're from, you're just getting some random place. We could assign and, you a place. And Pathfinder yeah. land. I still feel sorry for uh, I the think poor it was girl Sarah we and Thrushmore. Yeah. Yeah. We just love Thrushmore. It's terrible, but it's great. <laughs> yeah. it's a, In our game. <laughs> yeah, Thrush, Thrushmore is a, a sad and terrible place. So, yeah. And then we've got some more great things coming up in the works here soon. And I think you're going to really enjoy the episodes that we've got coming up here shortly as we make our uh, our march to the end of book one. Uh, so until a, I've got a lady to punch in the face. Me too. Yep. Yeah. Lots of punching ladies in the face. We do not condone violence. And men. Against anyone, we'll punch them equally as hard. Yes. <laughs> we are equal opportunity punchers here. They earned it by deboning some jackals. And yeah. by stealing our stuff. <laughs> As a side note, I would suggest only Sudi actually punch people in the face. I'm going to sound I'm with, trained in it. with the sword. <laughs> I don't have anyway. a type of opportunity by doing this. That is, <laughs> I'm going to dip in brawler so I can punch him in the face. <laughs> that is true. So uh, until next time, Pathfinders, good luck. <laughs>